second of two doubleheader in the Data on Kubernetes community, second live stream of the day. Just before we get started, as usual, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A couple of reminders just as we get moving. We have a special announcement as always. We have our Data on Kubernetes, our fourth Data on Kubernetes Day will be on October 24th in Detroit. I will be on the ground there. We already have our CFP open. So if you have an idea for a talk that you like to give, or if you know somebody who you'd like to give a talk, um, please tell them or please take a look at this link that I'll be sharing here in the chat. Have a look at that. Never too early to get your CFPs in. We want it to be end user focused, very clear instructions on how to do that properly. Another thing, if you haven't checked out already, that will also be connecting to our Data on Kubernetes Day will be the DOK landscape, all right? So as you'll see, the landscape is growing, the amount of technologies that are in there. All the idea here is to make it easier for end users to decide what they need to be, you know, what's gonna work best for their use case, all right? Um, it's no coincidence that our speaker today comes from a company called Veeam. And one of the technologies linked to Veeam um, from Castin is also on that landscape. So you can, you can check that out later. But I had the good fortune of meeting Tim in an event not that long ago. It seems like it was a long time ago. Was, was it not in the Netherlands where he gave a really, really good talk about data protection. So I asked, hey, can we get you in for a data on Kubernetes live stream? And here we are. Tim, how are you doing? I'm really great, actually. It's very warm uh, here in Belgium. So I'm really happy. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. I was super honored to be in your web stream. So. Should we get going? Should we Let's do start? It. Jump yeah. right in. Yeah. So I'll start by sharing my screen. And then hopefully you guys are able to see that. If everything went okay, you should be able to see a yep. terminal window. But I'm gonna start with a presentation. Well, okay. I will I will switch around. You can ask questions. Uh, Bart will actually read them for me or uh, and then we can actually interactively talk about. So yeah, CASNK10. So actually I've started working for a company called Veeam Software and we make backup software. Uh, and I've been working for them for 10 years. And what we've seen is in the last couple of years, more and more our customers were asking like, hey, do you provide backup for Kubernetes? And in the early days we were saying, oh, well, it's all stateless, right? You don't really need a backup of Kubernetes, right? And then the last couple of years, more and more, we saw actually customers answering, well, we don't only have stateless data on our cluster, we also have stateful data. So do you have a solution for that? And so instead of actually engineering something ourselves, what we did was we actually sent a VP to KubeCon and he scouted around and saw, okay, which are the guys here that are actually providing backup for Kubernetes? And that was a company called Kasten and they have a product called K10. And so we actually deemed them to be the most or the best backup product for Kubernetes, and we we decided to acquire them. So that's real. Why am why am I telling you this backstory? Is because it's really important to understand that Custom K10 is really a solution built for Kubernetes. It's not something that we just try to bolt on our platform, just saying okay, we'll we'll just add Kubernetes. No, we we've actually looked at the market. These guys were the guys that actually have the expertise. And you can feel that in the solution as well, that Kasten or K10 is actually really built for Kubernetes environment. So my name is Timothy. I work as a solution architect for the Nordics and Benelux, and you can find me on Twitter at Tedarin. So uh, today's setup is, uh, uh, well, I'm going to demo some stuff. So if you're wondering what I am demoing, so I'm actually running Ubuntu 
Uh, and on, the, on top of that, I'm running a K3S single node cluster, and I'm using OpenEPS uh, ZFS provisioner. And the reason why I'm using this one is because when I started experimenting with custom, I needed something that could actually, uh, is a CSI driver and that could make snapshots because that is the way that the backup works in the best scenario, I would say is that you use an open, well, that you use a CSI provider or something that makes persistent volumes uh, via CSI provider and that also supports snapshot. So I'm using that one. And so I'll, I'll quickly demo that. So if you look at my storage classes, you will see that I have that open EBS ZFS. So if I actually uh, take that one and uh, show you the configuration of that, basically, you apply a couple of YAML files, then you make this storage class and you say that you actually want to create ZFS volumes are based on this ZFS pool. So I have one ZFS pool on my disk. And so the cool thing is if I look here, ZFS list, you can see actually my persistent volumes and they actually match so the persistent volumes that I have in here. So very cool setup. If you want to have something like a cluster in a box, I can definitely recommend looking at open EBS ZFS. Uh, and you can actually try it out with custom to back it up as well. So I also have a stock demo. So you will see that's kind of a small application that is using a Postgres database, something I've developed myself for kind of very small demos. But if you're interested, if you need some kind of demo chart or you want to have some small application to try it out, you can find it there as well. I have the complete setup also uh, on this uh, GitHub. Bart, I, I don't know if we can actually share something afterwards but uh if not uh, yes we most certainly can if you want to share the okay. link here in the zoom chat i can put it on uh, okay. on on youtube and also we always will uh put things on on slack so people can check it out there too okay well we'll we'll send it out on slack later okay. then it will be easier uh so why backup right so this is a very important question uh and and so when you talk to a lot of devops they don't always seem to have the need for backup, but it's really important to have backup, especially if you have actual data in your Kubernetes cluster. And so for me, I always tell these stories, right? Because it's like an insurance for your data center. Funny enough, a couple of years ago, I actually bought this house and in Belgium, I'm from Belgium. So if you buy a house, you have to get in fire insurance. And I went to my insurance broker and they actually said, well, it's very interesting, right? Uh, we actually use your software. So they actually saw my payslip that I'm working for a company, Veeam, and they said, well, we know Veeam. And I was a bit surprised, right? Because it's an insurance broker and they actually use Veeam as a backup product. And they said, well, we actually don't always understand why we need to pay you money because it seems that the backup is not doing a lot. And I said, that's very interesting. I pay insurance for my house or I also pay insurance for my car. And it seems that this insurance is not doing a lot for me, right? The same thing with backup. Backup is the insurance for the data center. When you crash your car or your house burns down, these are very rare events, but when they happen, you are happy that you are insurance. And this, that you have insurance, right? It's the same thing with backup, right? It seems dull, it seems boring, but when something happens, you're very happy that you have it and that you can restore. And what we've seen is that people expect some stuff to happen. So broken hardware, broken software, this is stuff that people can still comprehend that they can anticipate, right? But what we see more and more, even in our support is the unexpected. We see more and more people going rogue, for example, 
admin had a very bad, bad day and decided to delete everything. Or you have a ransomware external attack going on in your environment and all of a sudden they start deleting or encrypting your data. In fact, I can tell you as a backup vendor, almost 30% of our calls now are actually customers that call in because they had a ransomware attack and they wanna recover quickly and they need our help in some form or format. And so actually backup is that last line of defense actually against those unexpected attacks. So it's really important. The second thing that we actually see is Kubernetes and the backup gap. What do I mean with that? We talk a lot with the DevOps guys and the DevOps guys don't always understand the need for backup. They've never been doing that, right? Because before you ask your admin to deploy a virtual machine or a physical machine and that IT admin would then also automatically set up the backup. But you maybe never encountered the installation process. You never needed to actually see how that was installed and manage it and so on. Nowadays, we see that the developers or the DevOps actually are setting up Kubernetes clusters, but don't always see the need for backup. The other problem is that we see is the guys that we traditionally talk to, the IT administrators, they know all about backup. They know that they need it for compliance or to make sure that if something happens that they can restore, but they don't always understand how Kubernetes works. And that's really difficult for us, right? Because we have on the one hand, we have a team that doesn't understand backup. And the other, on the other hand, we actually have a team that doesn't understand Kubernetes. So our goal is actually to provide a solution that can cater to the needs of those both teams, both the infrastructure guys, as well as the DevOps guys and the Kubernetes guy. Hopefully, we'll actually be convinced after this that, that we actually have a good solution for this. State of state, so this is real important. I'm not gonna to go too much in detail, but what we see is that more and more environments have actually stateful sets. So what we see is the most important containers on a Kubernetes cluster are most of the times are actually that stateful data. And that makes sense, right? If you have a database running on your uh, Kubernetes environment, that is probably going to be one of the biggest and the most important applications running on top of there. What we also see is more and more storage drivers that are actually in the market. So more and more CSI drivers, more and more storage platforms that actually creates uh, CSI drivers that are compatible with Kubernetes. So we see more and more where let's say five years ago, stateless was the way to go for Kubernetes. We see more and more stateful sets showing up in Kubernetes environment. And what kind of applications? I don't think it's a big secret, but most of it is databases and message queues. That makes sense, right? If you're gonna put some state, persistent state in your Kubernetes cluster, that's probably because you are hosting some kind of database out there, right? So what is the strategy that you can do? Do nothing, right? So that's actually very easy. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and that's what we see a lot of uh, environments happening is like, okay, well, we are fine, right? We have Kubernetes. It provides us high availability. If one node fails, just turns on the workload on another node. So we, we are fine, right? The biggest issue is that people are confusing actually HA and disaster recovery and backup, right? HA means that if one node fails, that Kubernetes will actually restart the workload on another node. That's, that's what high availability means. DR means what if your complete data center burns down and you need to start up the workload in another data center? How do you migrate from that? DR, backup, you need backup when somebody actually goes and actually deletes persistent data from your Kubernetes cluster. That's not something that actually Kubernetes can 
figure out or can solve actually, right? So imagine you have a hacker coming in and he starts deleting your persistent volumes. That's not something that Kubernetes will recover from, right? Because it was a manual action happening in your cluster. And so for that, you actually need backup and DR. It's really important to differentiate between all of these concepts. So what is it, what is it that we actually back up uh, at Kasten? So it's really important. I've talked a lot about stateful data, right? But if you look at an application, it's not only about those persistent volumes, right? We've seen a lot of our competitors, what they do is they back up the persistent volumes. And then when you, they restore, they just restore that persistent volume. The problem is that in Kubernetes, an application is not only that persistent volumes. It's all the definitions that are hosted in Kubernetes, like the services, your deployment, your stateful sets, your uh, ingresses, all of that configuration data that in, it sits in Kubernetes that forms your application. So what we do at Kassen is we discover the namespaces and we allow you to back up uh, actually the persistent volumes and all of that configuration data so that when you do an actual restore, you get all of that goodiness back. So how does it look like? Kassen K10 is actually, uh, a microservice application, I would say, that sits on top of your Kubernetes cluster. If you have multiple clusters, you can actually connect them in something we call a multi-cluster. Uh, but if you have a single cluster, it's just an application that runs inside of your cluster. So it's just an Helm chart, you install it, and then you are ready to go. So you don't actually need anything extra, another server or something like this. We do recommend that you also export your backups outside of your cluster, right? Because if your cluster fails, then your data would be gone as well. So we can actually export the data to object storage. That's what we see most frequently, S3 or Azure Blob Storage. Or you can also backup to NFS if you don't have any object storage in your on-premises environment. Uh, that's also possible. Finally, uh, we can actually also uh, apply blueprints. What are those? They are actually there to allow you to do consistent backup. So imagine you have a Postgres database or a MySQL database or something like this running in your cluster. We can actually backup those uh, applications in a consistent uh, way. Also in, uh, interesting is actually with these blueprints, for example, for AWS, we can even backup RDS databases because we see more and more environments where Kubernetes is running, but maybe it's storing data in something in a managed services, in a managed database, for example, in the cloud. So we can actually back up those as well. So freedom of choice, I'll leave it at that and I'll, I'll skip to the demo. So if I look at my environment, uh, we'll see that there's actually, it's a very small cluster, like I said. Uh, so we have the open EBS, that's my, uh, my CSI driver that is running there, so my persistent volumes. And you can see that there's the Kasten IO and the stock demo. So Kasten IO is actually, if I look at that namespace, you will see there are a couple of deployments running. So Kasten itself, like I said, it's a Helm chart. You can actually very easily install it. It will deploy all of these uh, deployments and then you can actually access it. So let me, Go there later in the GUI, and then we'll see what's going on there. What is really important about Kassen is that we try to cater for those two teams, for the DevOps and for the IT guys. So for the DevOps, what you will see is that the way, for example, authorization is done uh, is that we, let me just say cluster role bindings, get cluster roles. You will see that we actually add some cluster roles and we add some regular roles. So the way you can actually do 
Uh, authorization is actually by creating cluster role bindings to your individual user. And then the DevOps guys can actually use kubectl uh, to configure CAS and KTEN. You will also see that we actually extend uh, Kubernetes in that sense. We've defined some, Kuber some CRDs, and you can actually see all of those CRDs popping up right here, right? So for example, a backup policy, if I look at the policy here, you can actually see I'm in the namespace of custom that there is this stock demo backup policy here. So we'll see that reflect in the GUI as well. But if you are a developer and you want to do everything with, for example, uh, the command line, that's perfectly possible. You can actually see here, for example, the whole configuration. Well, let me select that here popping up here. So it's a daily backup and so on, where to backup to and so on. But we'll show you that later in the GUI as well. So if you're a DevOps, that's fine. You can actually monitor everything from here. If you are an infrastructure guy and you want to have an easy GUI, or if you just don't want to bother with kubectl, you will see that we also have a very nice web GUI. So let me just go to the main screen here. So you can actually see we discover applications automatically. So you can see here, stock demo, open EBS default. And again, the way this is discovered is actually, we are looking at the namespace. So if I would create here, create namespace, and I would call it doc, for example, you will see here that it's automatically discovered by Cast and Kate. So that's how we discover it. And uh, you can define some policies. And then if you run those policies, you make backups. To where do you backup? That's something that I wanted to show you is actually, like I said, we support Amazon S3, S3 compatible Azure or Google Cloud. Or if you are on-premises NFS file store, or if you are a Veeam customer, actually, we can also backup to Veeam backup and replication. Uh, this is a special use case. It only works when you use the VMware uh, CSI driver, actually, the VCR CSI driver. Uh, another interesting bit, I'm just going to mention it here. I have it on the slide here, uh, on the slide as well, but I just want to mention this here quickly to show you is that we also support immutability. And this is a very interesting one. What we can do is we can enable object blocking on the backups. And that means that if you make a backup to this S3 bucket, what we will do is we'll put time locks on the backups. And so these time locks actually will expire after, for example, uh, I would say, imagine that you've uh, defined, yeah, I don't have the, the bucket here in place, but if you define, for example, 30 days, we'll put a time lock of 30 days. And this is really important. It means that even if we are the owner of the data, we cannot remove the data. It's a 30-day time lock. Why do we do that? Certain customers want compliance, but also against ransomware attacks. Because what we see is that hackers get into the customer environments, sit there for, I don't know, two weeks, try to actually uh, figure out how everything is structured, delete the backups, and then start encrypting. So they are going stealth. And then, uh, at the moment, a ransomware attack, when you notice something is wrong, you go back to the backups and you see that all the backups are deleted, right? Because that's the thing that they did before encrypting the data. By enabling this immutability, you can actually say, okay, we want to have, we want to make sure that the backups are not being, well, if a hacker comes into our environment, that they cannot just delete the backups, right? There is that time lock that has to expire before uh, it can be deleted. So that's a kind of ransomware uh, protection built into Kassen Keita.
So uh, we're going to run a backup. But the first thing what I will do is go to my application and change some state here. So I have a small stock application here. And let's buy some uh, and K10 licenses. So you can see that the licensing is done per node if you are interested in that. So I'm going to buy some and K10 licenses. And you can see that it's now 9,990 node licenses left. So what we're going to do now is we're going to run a backup policy. I'll show you how to create a policy later, but we're just going to run the backup already so that we have a consistent backup of our stock demo application. So you can see that's actually running. Let me go into the details a bit later, but let's go and create such a policy, for example, for the doc namespace that we've created earlier. So for example, you have this doc application, you want to create a backup. What you do is you can go create policy and you can actually say, okay, what do we want to do? We want to create a backup. So a snapshot inside the cluster. Notice this import button here. What is that? Imagine you have two clusters, one on premises and one in AKS or one in AKS and one in EKS. And you want to back up to a data, well, to, for example, object storage S3 at the other side or Azure blob storage at the other side. And there you want to have some kind of standby cluster. What you can do is install KSNK then in that cluster at the object storage and then run this import policy. And it will automatically detect the backups from the, let's say, primary uh, cluster. And if, for example, you have a DR scenario where everything burned down, you can actually instantly start by restoring because it already knows all the backups that were produced by that primary cluster. So you can go into DR. So backup frequency, you can actually say, okay, I want to have, for example, a daily backup. And this is the amount of snapshots that you want to have. But again, these are actually only backups inside of the cluster. So what we do is we read the data outside Kubernetes and the Kubernetes data itself, I would say the config files, what we do is if I look at the pods, we store them in this catalog service. And for the snapshots of the persistent volumes, we just use volume snapshots. So if I look at the volume snapshots here, you can actually see let me just do a snapshot on everything. You can actually see that there's in my stock demo namespace, there are some snapshots happening. So this is actually a backup inside the cluster. But what if you want to externalize the data? Well, you enable backups via export, and then you can actually say, I want to export this to my S3 bucket. So that's how easy it is to set up a policy. Uh, you can then just click create policy. Interesting enough, if you just want to have a blueprint that you want to reuse, let's say, for the developers and you don't want to write everything from scratch, you can actually go to the wizard and say, I just want to generate this YAML file and then uh, I can actually apply it manually or adapt it. You can do some pre and post scripts. I'm not going to go too much in detail. I'll talk about canisters a bit later, but basically you can make sure that your application is consistent. So this is how easy it is to create a backup policy. Now, if everything went okay, uh, we should actually have a backup of our stock demo. So you can actually see that happen. So in the first phase, it did a backup inside the cluster. And again, what is it backing up? The persistent volume, right? That's important, right? Because that's the Postgres data. That's the most crucial data. But it's also backing up the secrets. It's also backing up the config map, the services, and so on, the ingresses, service account, middleware, all of that, 
everything that is defined in Kubernetes is being backed up. And then we did that export. Like I said, what we actually do is we export it to that object storage so that it's good to go. So now what I'm going to do is the application is still live at this particular point, but let's pretend we are a hacker and let's go and delete the namespace stock demo. So now all of a sudden our application, our uh, selling application, our web app is gone. And all of a sudden our customers cannot buy any licenses anymore. So that's a really bad scenario, right? Because we are actually losing money at this particular point. Uh, it's not there. Maybe we still have the YAMLs in some Git uh, repository, right? But we don't know the exact settings of our stock anymore, right? Because that was persistent data. That's actually gone completely. So now the question comes, how can we recover it? Well, Kasten has a very easy GUI to do so. You can also do it via the CLI, but again, maybe you are in a panic mode, your production app is gone and you wanna have it back very quickly. You go to the GUI and you actually say, well, applications, it's no longer there. Luckily it says, well, we have some removed application here. And actually uh, I removed another application early, but you can see here, the stock demo is here. So let's click stock demo and we'll click uh, the restore point that we made earlier. And then we'll click restore. Um, I actually went a bit too quick to that restore, but let me just explain you, uh, well, it's restoring now. Let me just go back and uh, actually go and uh, click removed and click through that GUI as well for another backup. Uh, so one of the things that I forgot to say, so you can actually restore to another namespace, right? Also interesting is uh, this apply transform to restore resources. Why is that important? Imagine that you are restoring to, for example, you've had some Kubernetes cluster on premises and now you wanna restore to AKS. Uh, well, all of your storage classes might not match uh, what is in AKS. Well, with this transform, what you can do is you can actually update all the persistent volumes and say, okay, every storage class has to be renamed to a storage class that actually matches in uh, EKS. So you can actually do that as well. And that means that you can actually restore from one cloud provider to the other or from on-premises to another installation. So today you're running Rancher and tomorrow you're running EKS. We can actually live update, I would say this uh, YAML or actually JSON, right? Because in Kubernetes, it's JSON on the fly when we do the restore. So let's go and uh, actually look at the restore process for stock demo. So I'm just gonna look if the namespace is already there. So you can actually see it's back there, 33 seconds. Let's look at the pods that are in that stock demo. And you can actually see there, uh, it's spinning up some pods to do the restore. Uh, and we actually at the very end, you can see my database is up and running. So if everything went well, and this is always the tricky part, right? Because it's a live demo, it's back up and running. So you can actually see we bought uh, 10 nodes and it's actually updated back and our production data is back. So hooray, 
hacker actually deleted everything, but we were able to restore everything back to production in a couple of minutes. And that's the real beauty, right? It's all possible via the CLI, but it's also all, it has that nice GUI if you are an IT guy and you don't know much about Kubernetes, but you still wanna have a nice backup, then that's possible. A couple of final bits that I do wanna mention uh, while we are in the GUI. So first of all, uh, if you look at the licenses, uh, we are giving away some free licenses here. So if you have a small cluster and you just want to try it out, when you do the Helm chart install, you will see that there's two licenses generated. So first of all, there is a trial starter licenses for 30 days, up to 500 nodes, and that's worker nodes. Or you get this starter license, and that is actually five nodes for free. Right, this is there is no production version of this and test uh, version. It's the same software, and up to five nodes you actually get for free uh, this kind of the software. The second thing we didn't talk too much about it, but uh, we do support something called Canister Blueprints. And again, what does this do? Uh, it allows you actually to make the applications consistent. So if you have, for example, Postgres running in your cluster, you can actually lock the database just before we create the snapshot and then unlock it. Or if you have MySQL, we can do a dump via MySQL in, you, instead of making a backup of the volume. And again, if you have an RDS database, we can also do a backup of that. The final bit uh, is actually the usage and reporting. So you can actually see that we have some nice graphics. You can have this report being generated. You have those dashboards. And for that, we use Grafana. And you can actually dig into the Grafana, make your own dashboard. We even allow you to access the underlying Prometheus endpoint if you want to do that. So then you can build, you can extract the data from Cassink uh, K10 if you want that and integrate it in one big Prometheus installation. So we are open in that way. So that's the part for the demo. Let me just do some final bits here on the slides. Let's see if I missed something. So again, freedom of choice. We do support uh, making consistent backups for, the, the, for those databases, Postgres, MongoDB, MySQL, Cassandra, and whatever. There's a lot more out there. Important distributions, right? Uh, we do support OpenShift and Rancher. Uh, we also support the major uh, vendors or let's say providers, cloud providers like uh, GKE, AKS, AKS, and so on. Uh, actually, I'm running this on K3S. So everything that is kind of Kubernetes, we do support it. We're very open. Uh, and really great is that you can also move from one distribution to the other one. Finally, in storage infrastructure, uh, what we prefer nowadays is CSI volumes, right? Because we can just use a CSI snapshotting mechanism. But for certain vendors out there, we have direct integration. For example, uh, AWS didn't have the CSI approach and we actually implemented direct snapshotting or we talked to AWS directly to create the snapshots. Uh, nowadays, they also have a CSI driver. Uh, easier to use the CSI driver because it's uh, less set up, I would say. But you can have a look. We have a variety of storage platforms that we actually support. So we are not bound to one storage platform alone. Again, the ransomware protection, really critical because we see more and more stateful data uh, in the Kubernetes environment. What we've also seen is that a lot of customers start with Kubernetes and sometimes actually 
do not secure it very well because Kubernetes, the, to get started, it's already difficult, uh, let alone set up proper security. So it's really important that you have that backup strategy. And again, that's why we support immutable backups in our environment. Finally, an overview of what we can do, backup and recovery. I showed you that, right? But there's two other things that we can do, application mobility. Again, if you are going from one cluster to another, can be actually different uh, distributions. And we can actually also do disaster recovery, meaning today uh, you have one environment running in one data center and you have a backup or a disaster recovery environment in another data center or at another cloud provider. If that first one burns down, we can actually fail over to that other one. I didn't show you that today, but that, that is possible today. And then build for Kubernetes, hopefully you are actually convinced that it is sitting inside Kubernetes. It extends Kubernetes. Uh, it's easy to use. Hopefully, I've shown you that in the GUI as well. End-to-end -end security, like I said, it just extends Kubernetes. So you can actually use uh, the same authentication mechanism that you are using today with role bindings. Uh, for the GUI, we actually uh, support different methods for authentication. Uh, we basically use DEX underneath it all. So you can actually have any of those authentication mechanisms in place. So if you want to get started today, you can go to kassen.io uh, slash resources. You can try it out. If you, uh, again, if you just want to try it out, it, there's a free license there. And uh, let me just show you in the GUI. If, we, if you go to the docs, docs.kassen.io for installing it is basically, uh, first of all, you need to add our uh, Helm repository, and then you can just install it depending on, uh, let me just say, for example, if you wanna do it on AWS, then you just do that Helm in chart, uh, chart install, and you are good to go. So I would definitely recommend it if you haven't tried it out. Again, five licenses for free there. That's it, Bart. I talked a lot. I didn't hear anything from you. So I don't know, are there any questions? Yes. So this is something that came up actually uh, when we met in the Netherlands not that long ago, was talking about this very issue about backup restore, getting these snapshots. And what one what one person mentioned to me is that, and you did touch, touch on this briefly, is you know, like with Postgres, you got PG dump. And so yep. this providing somewhat of a, you know, some might say out of the box or just ready to go uh, solution when it comes to backup and restore. However, other people disagree with that. And we even had a bit of a conversation about that in our Slack. Different databases might approach us in different ways, but you obviously have someone very much in the space for people that say, no, no, PG dump is good enough. What are they missing? What might they be missing out on? What are the things that they, maybe they're not getting the full picture? Yeah, so first of all, PG dump, is great, right? But if you just wanna, if you have Postgres alone and you do that PG dump, then you also need to have a plan in place to know how to restore it, right? You need to test it out. Are you sure that you did a correct PG dump? And also when you try to restore the application, is it easy to restore that? That's something that we try to do differently is to say, okay, look, we actually take a very generic approach. We have something called canister. I didn't go too much into that, but we try to create these blueprints uh, for the different applications. So let me just show you this, for example, for Postgres. And what we do is we predefine the logic to do not only the backup, let me just take this blueprint again. 
Okay. So, so we actually do uh, provide the logic to do that backup, right? And then we store it in a secure location that is also immutable if you want that. But also what is really important is that we also have all these steps that are automated in the restore process. So in the case that you are running into a disaster, this will actually restore this. Again, we have some customers that will argue that, yeah, I can do these steps manually, right? But imagine that you have hundreds of applications in your cluster. Are you sure that you've enabled that correctly for all of those? Are you sure that in a disaster recovery, it will be easy to restore? And then are you sure that it will be enough to restore that data, right? Because you have all of this other stuff that is configured in Kubernetes. Are you sure that you've defined everything that the Git is still working with the data and so on. So what we try to do is try to make a consistent point and restore everything you need to get a, a persistent image back as it was before that. Hopefully I've tried to show you that with the production app as well, right? I'm just deleting the complete namespace that deletes basically everything. And then in a couple of clicks, I get everything back, right? I don't have to worry where is my Git data? Where is all my YAML files? I don't have to apply them in a certain order. I don't have to try to manually restore all that. No, it's a couple of clicks and it's back. And I think that is the main bit. Sure, you can script everything, but uh, if you are talking about scale, that's gonna be problematic. And actually the casting guys themselves, when we first acquired them, they basically said, we said, well, we have a lot of customers starting with Kubernetes and they said, we, do, we don't actually focus on guys getting started with Kubernetes. We are actually focusing more on people that already have run into problems, right? Because if you just get started with Kubernetes, you think, oh, well, I can script all of this, right? But they focus more on the bigger customers that are already running Kubernetes for a longer time because they understand that, well, sure, you can script it, but at one point, all those scripts are going to be unmanageable. So hopefully that gives you some reason why we are doing this, why this makes sense, actually. I think it's a good point because, you know, it's not that, you know, answering, it's not that you're answering a question that nobody asked because of precisely what you said, as you scale, you know, and if things go well, that's exactly what's going to be happening. This is, this is going to become more of, more of a, you know, not, not a good to have, but basically a must in, in order to prevent the sort of risks and, and fear factors that can go that can go on with this. And, and you know yeah. what? It's not even it's not Kubernetes unique because when I started, we I started at Veeam and Veeam stands for VM virtual machines. And back then we actually also made backup software for virtual machines. And we had guys saying, oh, I can script the backup from uh, for virtual machines. Look, I can use what was called VCB utility and just script it. Well, look, it's easy. Yeah, well, have you tried restoring? Uh, no. Okay, right. So that's those kind of it's well, it's kind of a deja vu moment for me when I get into this space, right? Everybody thinks it's easy, right? But when it comes to data protection, again, it's like an insurance. You want to make sure that when the the stuff hits the fan, that your restore is going to be easy, smooth, and it's going to actually work, right? That's important. I think it's a very very good point, and like you said, there is. A lot of different reasons why these scenarios can arise where people all of a sudden find themselves in this kind of a situation. Like you said, do you prefer it to be an absolute nightmare to piece these things back together or to have a very, very clear plan that you know uh, how, to, how to go step by step? This is very good. And you know what? It's, it's like we, an expression that I learned from one of my high school teachers 
if you fail to plan, then plan to fail. Uh, so this is a very, very exactly. good advice. Exactly. Yeah, it's very, that's very good. Yep. Good stuff. Can I get you to stop sharing your screen really quickly so I can share mine? Yeah, sure. I, good. I was actually hovering over the stop share button. Okay. So I was like, all good. So let's, uh, good. let's take a look. So we have, you know, this is, this is a bit of a tradition that we have in our, in our community is that while you're, while our speakers are, are sharing their knowledge, we have our amazing graphic recorders in the background creating an artistic depiction of the things that are being mentioned. <laughs> so this is what uh, our artist Angel just created while you were giving your presentation. Very, very nice uh, artistic summary. There was a lot of stuff covered here, and and you know most of our a lot of our live streams generally go for an hour, but you really got all this stuff in there with a lot of with a lot of confidence, and I think that's that's really nice because we talk about Kubernetes environments. And for some people, it seems, oh, it's still the Wild West. You know, these things are being done for the first time. But like you said, you know, the very name Veeam, you got VMs in there. So there is, there's a backstory to all of this. And then bringing it into the Kubernetes world. And as you showed as well, too, the state of state. And also in our research report from the data on Kubernetes community, I think over 70% of organizations interviewed said that they are running stable workloads on Kubernetes. 90% of organizations said that Kubernetes is ready for stable workloads. Everyone's got to be running stateful workloads, and it's very important to not leave data protection, backup, and restore out of the equation. Exactly. Valuable asset that a company. Hey, can I ask you? Can you send me the cheap? Of course, I, don't I worry. It's really we'll cool. get it. We'll put it on Slack. You know, this is going social. This is going to go everywhere. Don't worry. This is our okay. this is our way of saying thank you to you for bringing this wonderful presentation, sharing it with us, and it's something that as a community, you know, we talk a lot about database and storage, and so this is something that you know, if you're uh, in the database world, if you're an SRE. You cannot leave this out of your site. Like you said, there are some built-in options that are available, but as you scale on Kubernetes, you're going to want to be scaling these kind of solutions along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Good. I'm, I'm re really thank, thank you for having me. I know that it's also kind of a bit commercial, but hopefully I gave you enough technical depth to kind of uh, enjoy plenty, that as well. Plenty to work with. And okay. also it's, you know, what we say is, you know, the thought that counts is that whether it's one option or another option, we know that we need to be thinking about these things. I and think also this, that's the main takeaway, really. Like, even if you don't use CAS and K10, make sure that your data is protected. That's yeah. the main bit here as well. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And so that's, I think that's, that's a major point that, you know, and also seeing the two paired up with technologies like OpenEBS that have been a big part of our community since we got started. Uh, when we're talking about container attached storage, we're talking about approaching this in a different way in a very Kubernetes uh, centric context. I think it's really good to see these things uh, developing further. And Cass has been a wonderful member in our community. So massive shout outs to, to Michael Kane and all the wonderful folks that are there. Hopefully gonna see some of them in London this week as I will be there on Thursday for our, our fourth in-person uh, data on Kubernetes meetup in London. So yeah, Tim, this was really good. I'm glad we got to meet in Holland and to take it one step further here in the community. So we'll Thanks, be man. in touch. All right.